What have you been doing the past three years? Have you been busy? Has anything happened to your life in these past three or so years? I know there has. Because something happened to all of us these past few years. We faced a global pandemic. And I don't really know what your read is of the situation, nor do I really want to concern myself with whether or not you think the government did this right or the school systems did that right or here at the church we did this wrong or right. What, what I'm concerned with is your trauma because we all have a share in the trauma. During these three years, we've all known someone who's lost their life to illness or got sick because of it. Through these last few years, our lives were halted. The economy took a hit. Our religious communities' lives have taken hits. Education has taken hits. People's health declined and mental health has declined as well. I don't know where you were in the spectrum of life, but you didn't get out of these three years without carrying some burden. Now, if you have children and you're working, that's one kind of burden. And if you're caring for your parents, that might be another kind of burden. It doesn't matter. What matters is, is that we all carried some burden. Amen? So how do you cope with your burden? If you're like me, sometimes you found time to escape into the stories that we've created. Television, books, movies. And I confess that there are some dark stories that I really find interesting. I like Southern Gothic. I like stories that get at the seedy underbelly of humanity. I like the mysterious and the spooky. I like the unanswered, but guess what? Not during a pandemic. I didn't need any more of that. So at night when the kids were in bed and it was time for me to unwind, I more often than not found myself watching something comedic, something that could lighten my spirits. And it's not just comedic sitcoms. I like to watch stand-up, stand-up comedy, something to help me forget about the travails of the world, or at least something to help me make light of the darkness, as stand-up comedy is wont to do. There's a stand-up comedian named Bo Burnham, and he has a, an incredibly brilliant special called Inside. He wrote it, directed it, starred in it, filmed it all in one room of his house as he was locked away during the pandemic. Now, mind you, if you're tempted to go watch Inside on Netflix, your pastor's not telling you you're going to like it. He works in shades of blue. If you don't know what that means, that means he uses foul language. He uses black humor, and you might not agree with his politics. That part I really don't care about. We all just need to start learning to engage with people we don't agree with a little bit better. I think we've got to grow up a little bit. But nevertheless, I didn't say go watch him. I'm just telling you I did. And he does the shtick in his stand-up comedy where he writes songs that comment on the world, right? Or his point of view in the world. And he's got the song about the internet. 
and all of us who live in the digital internet age. Welcome to the internet. Have a look around. And it starts singing about how you can find basically everything on the internet. Everything. And how absurd it is that your fingertips can bring you across pages that it's mind-boggling we let out into the world. Knowledge that's just attainable by everybody. Knowledge that may hurt. And he sings... Can I interest you in a little bit all of the time? A little bit of everything all of the time. Apathy's a tragedy and boredom is a crime. Can I interest you in everything all of the time? Now, as he's looking at the camera, he's got John Lennon glasses on. His hair's growing longer. His face hair's growing longer. And there's a light show going on. And the red lights from the light show reflect on the lenses of his eyes. And as he sings, he gets more and more maniacal. Can I interest you in everything all of the time until he's kind of a satanic character? And aptly so, because in a world where you can get a little bit of everything all the time, we might be tempted to believe his utopia. I think it might be stage one of hell. We live in a world that is fast-paced. That I don't have to convince you. We go from one thought to the next thought, one search to the next search. We have no patience for downloading. We want it now, and we want all of it now. Now, 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 now. It's not just fast-paced. It is superficial. I'm going to go on record. I'm going to make everyone angry. If I hear one more person that I know tell me that they did their research, and what they mean is they watched YouTube videos or searched Facebook or read some Wikipedia articles or watched a documentary. I'm going to throw my PhD in the lake. All my classes on research methodology and critical thinking mean nothing, apparently. It's not real. And if you think, oh, I know there's an algorithm, I can outsmart it. No, you can't. No, you can't. It's fast-paced. It's superficial. And what's more... It is distracted. Reverend Bell, our minister of music, and I were coming back from lunch one day, a couple years back. Right over here, we were pulled from Beverly onto the great Peachtree Christian, or Peachtree Street, right in front of the church. And I saw it with my own two eyes, and so did Reverend Bell. There's a professor from SCAD with a backpack on, walking that way across the street. He had the right-of-way. The little sign told him to walk, and so he followed it. And then a car came out of the business across the street and took a turn, not seeing him, and it hit him. I'll never get the sound of human flesh on car out of my brain or human flesh on a road. We hopped out. We did the best we could to help, calling the ambulance and all the first responders. And I looked over here to my right to see this young woman who is absolutely beside herself, tears streaming down her face, on the phone, shaking, breathless. She's the one who hit the man. You know what? She wasn't a villain. There was no malice or mischief in the woman. She told me that as she took that turn, her boss texted her, and she thought she had to take it. We are distracted. We are what many philosophers called 
living in the age of the device paradigm. Thankfully, in this hurried and harried and crazy world, we have a panacea, the gift of spirituality. The spiritual gifts of the world of spirituality and religion and faith and the search for the holy, uh, the gifts and the tools are many and they're meant to make us more human. One of those gifts is silence because there's so many voices, so much noise. Another gift is solitude, getting away from the wild world to recenter, to refocus, to see who we really are again. And it's to slow down. It reminds me of watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. As you come into the neighborhood and you see all the images, you see a blinking yellow light meant to tell the audience, this is a place to slow down, pay attention, and at times, be quiet. The ancients called this the vita contempliva, the contemplative life. And so many people have put that life as opposed to the vita activa life, the active life. Now, I don't think these things are mutually exclusive. There is a time and a place for both. But this vita contempliva has been seen as an antidote, not just for our own crazy time that seems like the world has done lost its mind. And ancient Christians thought the world had done lost its mind in the first century. And it was a tool back then to gain some sense, to get a vision once more, to slow down, to, to make certain that they didn't miss the divine drama happening everywhere about them. So that their eyes could be ready to see that holiness Holiness is everywhere, that the really real haunts us. And the world itself, in fact, is enchanted. Meditation and contemplation are good tools. I once heard of a story of a prison in Bessemer, Alabama. Now, as the story goes, there is a program there for meditation teaching. Because the one thing that's true about life in prison, it turns out, is that People who are incarcerated tend to be innocent. When you have to make appeals, after appeal after appeal after appeal, when you're making your defense, over time you begin telling yourself the same story and you begin to tell that story to everyone else, which is why I read from Shawshank Redemption can say, in Shawshank I was the only guilty man. Another thing that's true about the life of a prisoner is that it's a terrifying life. Not only are you hemmed in by walls and bars all around you, but other prisoners may not have your best interest at heart. And then you have to think about what's going on at home. There's not really a lot of, not really a lot of time to ask the hard question of, of yourself. And maybe what scars are you carrying that made you live the kind of life you lived that got you thrown away behind the bars? And in Bessemer, Alabama, a group of people came in and began to teach meditation strategies to the prisoners. They had a trial group. And I don't mean like 10-minute headspace app meditations. I mean like hours-long meditations in a room in isolation. And it was through there that some of these prisoners actually testified through there that they actually came to terms with who they really were for the very first time, that they could 
have enough space to quit speaking and quit defending and quit spinning yarns and remember again who it is that they really are and maybe why it is they have made the choices they've made and it began to help heal. Meditation, contemplation, the via, vita contempliva are helpful tools. But on this Easter Sunday, on this Easter morning, I want you to be careful. I want you to be careful not to miss something more and something that is a bedfellow to this contemplative path. Don't miss out on the readiness position. Be quick to be ready because the divine dance happens all around you. Holiness is not hard to find. Enchantment teems under everything, and it's there for the looking and seeing and tasting and touching and smelling. It's there for the healing. It's there for the living into. It's there. But you've got to be ready to receive it. You know, in sports, we often talking about being readied. My nephew, Oliver, plays baseball. And he's in T-ball, so every dad out there is a coach, and every dad plays in the field with the kid, behind the kid in the positions. I mean, I think it's just, honestly, they're helping coach the kids. I just think it's a bunch of grown men trying to regain their youth. You've never seen anything more silly than a bunch of adults trying to cheat with their kids. But whatever. You do you. Do you. I'll follow Jesus. My nephew Oliver looks fantastic in his uniform because he is a naturally gifted athlete. And he looked great at shortstop. He was there. He was kind of doing the right thing. I mean, he probably had chewing gum chewed the right way. He just looked the part. My brother walks over behind him with a smile and looks over at me, winks, and sticks his foot up against my nephew Oliver's backside just with his toe goes, boop. And Oliver fell on his knees in his face right in the dirt. Oliver popped up, dusted himself off, put on his hat, and he waved over at us. My other nephew, Everett, looks, he goes, Oliver wasn't in his ready position. He wasn't ready. If he were ready, he wouldn't have fallen down. He was not ready. What do they tell you? They say, ready position, or get in your positions, or what? Now, what do they? Every coach has got a different terminology, but the point is, Assume the position of someone who is ready to receive the baseball when it comes to you, or the softball, or whatever ball. The point is, is that you're supposed to play your position not figuring out what to do when the ball comes to you for the very first time, like it's the first time you thought of it. So when that ball comes to you, like you're playing like hot potato. No, 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 no. You know if the ball's hit this way or that way or here, what to do, because you've thought through it. You're ready. You are ready to receive and to go to work. Here in this passage of Scripture that we read this morning, we have one of the great resurrection Easter texts. Jesus has died under the hands of the state. He died like a dog. Stripped down, bare. There he was dying a traitor's death, a slave's death. It's called slave death, or it's called cross death. And he was hung. And there's a lot of ink that's been spilled over how much this would have hurt and, and why it would have hurt. I never understood why so much ink is spilled over that. Of course it would hurt. 
Let's talk about the shame of it. Yeah, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, you know, Jared, Israel was in the Hellenized world at the time, and the Hellenistic period, people were comfortable with public nudity. I know that's what you were thinking. But the reality is this, even though it's true that the, the, the world that we're talking about had been Hellenized, the Jude Jewish mindset was not comfortable with public nudity. It was a shameful thing. I don't care what image you've seen of Jesus, most likely on the cross, he would have been stripped naked, hung as a display, dying like a dog. I don't even know why I say dying like a dog. Dogs don't deserve that. It just sounds gruesome to say it that way, to be honest with you. That's the point. So... He dies, and hastily they have to take him and throw him into an unmarked grave, basically, because the Sabbath is coming, and these two Marys show up in the morning, the day after the Sabbath, to try to prepare his body. Because here's the thing, they care for the body. In real Christian spirituality, there's no body and soul. Spirituality has to do with your body as much as it has to do with your interior world, and they are going to prepare the body of their teacher, of their friend. And he's not there. The body's gone. The passage of Scripture is supercharged and quick. It says, and suddenly, and quickly. In fact, it says suddenly twice and quickly twice. In this moment, they go searching for Jesus' body, not having found it. Suddenly something happens, and quickly they respond, and suddenly they're told to go and tell, and quickly they respond, and it's all really fast. They're called to be at the ready, because if they're not, they might miss it. The truth is, is we often miss the holy in our world. We often miss what's really real. We often miss the divine that's right here and now in front of your face. Because we're not looking. I remember going to a Boy Scout camp out. There's this one kid who really didn't hang out with the rest of the Boy Scouts. He sat by the fire reading comic books all the time. Just sat reading comic books. And it was about midnight maybe two in the morning, I don't know. It was the middle of the night, we were playing capture the flag, but then in this clearing, someone caught a glimpse of something up in the heavens, and we all looked up, and it, it, it was a shooting star, and another one, and another one. It was a meteor shower that we didn't know was going to take place, and we just kind of stood there in, in awe, our mouths agape, and, and, and that kind of awe that is almost scary. You know, it, it gives you the chill that starts at the bottom of your legs and works its way up to the back of your neck, because as you're looking, you're reminded of how very infinitesimally small you are compared to anything in the universe and its glory. The luminous glory is there. It's capturing our imaginations in the sky. He finally puts down the most recent X-Men comic, and he comes out to the field, and we're all looking up, and he's looking at us, and he goes, what are you guys looking at? No one responds because we're speechless before what is so easy to see if you just look. 
He goes, come on, guys, why don't you tell me, what are you looking at? He could have made a cartoon of it right there in front of him, but he wasn't looking. He missed it. We often miss the glory of God all around us because, well, we're not attuned to it. We're attuned to something else like our devices. We have our screens everywhere. What's really funny to me <coughs> is that so much of our lives are attached to screens, and then we criticize other people for being attached to their screens, but really we're attached to our own. One day we're going to evolve to have screens for our hands. That's, that's how we look all the time. When you're attuned to man-made devices, whether it's a phone or television or maybe even something like a billboard even, when you're attuned to only that, you're not attuned to much. Or maybe we dismiss it because we're cynical. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but nihilism, the philosophy that says everything is absurd, Nihilism uh, in, in, is filled with cynicism. In, in, in Europe, in, it takes the place in film and art in a very like morose, kind of like dark, very depressing kind of mode. But here in America, that nihilistic tendency, the cynicism tends to be comedic. One of my favorite shows came out in the 1990s. It was the, the show about nothing. Do you know that show? Seinfeld, the show about nothing where it peels back the layers of absurdity of things. Well, here's the thing. It's real easy to walk about this world cynically, deconstructing, pulling at yarns, questioning the intentions and authenticity of people. And it's all well and good, and maybe we should be a little skeptical from time to time, but maybe we're too much. Maybe, because we are, we miss the gift of God Friends, I want you to leave this Easter Sunday and I want you to think about being more contemplative. Yeah, but I want you to leave ready in your ready position. Because I promise you, if our faith is true, then it says that all around you is something holy to behold. is a gift of enchantment to receive. Oh, it starts... It starts in a small way in a tomb where there's a body that has been bloodied and scraped and murdered. And it becomes new again. And resurrection says, life go out. And it becomes new again. And it says, behold, I'm making all things new. Behold, I will make you new. Be ready to receive that newness that started way back when in that one place where it grows. And everywhere that holiness touches, it invites others and other places and other things into the divine dance and drama. Be at your ready positions.